Chapter Four of the Dawn of Medieval Europe, four seventy six to nine eighteen by J. H. B. Masterman. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pamela Nagami. The Gothic Kingdom in Italy. Theodoric was about forty years of age when he began to reign as the sole king in Italy, and he reigned there for rather more than thirty years. After twenty years of wandering and war, the Ostrogoths settled down to thirty years of almost uninterrupted peace. It was no easy task that confronted the new master of Italy. Not only had he to repair the ravages of long years of desolating strife, he had also to train Gothic and Roman subjects to live at peace together, and Arian as he was, to win the support of the Catholic clergy on whose good will the success of his rule must largely depend. That he succeeded in doing both these things is the most striking evidence of his greatness. Though Theodoric had won Italy by right of conquest, he tried to give legal sanction to his rule. He seems to have secured the confirmation of his kingship from his Ostrogothic followers. He also sent to the emperor at Constantinople for the ratification of his title. Zeno's death in 491 delayed the negotiations, and it was not until six years later that Anastasius gave a vague recognition to Theodoric's kingship. As king of the Goths and Romans, for that was probably his title, Theodoric was, for all practical purposes, absolute monarch of Italy but in the background were the undefined claims of the emperor to supremacy, destined to be reasserted as soon as death had removed the strong hand of the Gothic king from the helm. The recognition of his position by the emperor brought strength to Theodoric's rule, because it commended that rule to the Romans, and so enabled him to secure the help of Roman officials in the difficult work of organizing the kingdom the vigorous initiative that the Goths had learnt in their long fight for subsistence was now linked with the traditions of authority and ordered rule that had lasted on in Italy through all the confused strife of the last hundred years. Under strong and good government, Italy began to recover her prosperity. Trade developed, agriculture revived, so that Italy was able to export corn instead of importing it. At Rome and at Ravenna, which Theodoric made his capital, great aqueducts were made to supply fresh water. Roads were improved, and the great cities of Italy were once more adorned with works of art and defended by strong walls. All this work of administration went on under the eye of Theodoric, who had something of Napoleon's marvellous power of supervising all the details of administration. But he was also served by a well-organized body of officials from the great officers of the state, the illustres, as they were called, down to the junior clerks, policemen and others, who stood on the bottom rung of the ladder up which they might hope to climb to higher office. Of Theodoric's officers of state, the best known is Magnus Aurelius Cassiodorus, 
sprung from an old official family cassiodorus entered public life under his father who was praetorian prefect about the year five hundred he is said to have won the favour of theodoric by an eloquent oration delivered on the occasion of a visit of the king to rome and was appointed as quaestor or public orator he acted for years as the king's secretary and his legal training and knowledge of latin literature must have made him a useful adviser he wrote a history of the goths in twelve books that have perished and collected his letters and state papers into twelve books of varii which remain and form one of the most valuable sources of information for the reign of theodoric he survived his master and became praetorian prefect under his successor in 533. After the fall of the Gothic kingdom, he retired to the monastery of Vivier, which he founded, and there we lose sight of him. During the greater part of Theodoric's reign, the internal affairs of the kingdom provide little material for the chroniclers. Eight years after his accession, he paid his first and only visit to Rome where he stayed for six months and provided splendid entertainments for the pleasure-loving people but his capital was not rome but ravenna here he could better keep in touch with his gothic followers who settled chiefly in northern italy and was also within easy reach of the northern frontier in case the need arose for meeting a hostile invasion the gothic warriors were allotted a third of the lands of italy for the most part the same lands that Odoacer's followers had held. Liberius, an old officer of Odoacer, was appointed by Theodoric to arrange the allotment of lands. The Goths lived apparently in small groups, not mixing much with the native Italians, with whom, however, their relations seemed to have been quite friendly. Special officers, comites gotorum, administered Gothic law in all cases between Goths where any case arose between a goth and a roman a roman lawyer was associated with the gothic officer in deciding it theodoric's roman subjects were under roman law administered by roman officials though theodoric was an arian he remained till near the end of his reign on friendly terms with the catholic clergy soon after his accession he was called to decide between two rival candidates for the papacy and on his visit to rome he gave splendid gifts to the shrine of st peter the same spirit of toleration led him to take the jews under his protection and when near the end of his life the synagogues at rome and ravenna were burnt in a riot he insisted on the punishment of the rioters and the reconstruction of the buildings the external affairs of the reign turn around theodoric's relations with the teutonic kingdoms of the west and with the empire of the kingdoms beyond the alps the largest and most important at the time of theodoric's accession was the visigothic kingdom that included southern france and most of spain the ruler of this kingdom was alaric the second who succeeded to the throne in 485 though an arian he tried like theodoric to propitiate the catholic clergy in his dominions with theodoric the visigoths remained on terms of close alliance and alaric married a daughter of the ostrogothic king this was the beginning of a series of matrimonial alliances between the house of theodoric and the neighbouring rulers
his sister amalafrida married thrasamund the vandal king of north africa and one of his daughters was given in marriage to sigismund son of the burgundian king gundobad theodoric himself married algofleda sister of clovis the king of the franks the story of the rise of clovis will be told in another chapter it only concerns us now in its influence on the policy of theodoric at first he attempted to maintain friendly relations with the frankish king but when clovis began to prepare for an attack on his ally the king of the visigoths he remonstrated in vain in the war that followed alaric was defeated and slain before theodoric's army arrived to help him some years of war followed between theodoric and clovis ending in a severe defeat of clovis by the ostrogoths theodoric and the frankish king then agreed to partition the dominions of alaric clovis taking most of southern gaul and theodoric provence then spain the one remaining visigothic province becomes for a time the centre of theodoric's policy on the death of alaric an illegitimate son gesalic was proclaimed as king by some of the visigoths he was defeated by the burgundians and fled to carthage where thrasimund espoused his cause for a time till theodoric's protests obliged him to dismiss the fugitive ultimately gesaric was captured in gaul by theodoric's soldiers and put to death there remained only one heir of the house of alaric his little son amalaric grandson of theodoric with the consent of the visigoths theodoric acted as regent in spain for the young king and thus practically added spain to his other dominions we now turn to theodoric's relations with the empire on the death of zeno anastasius succeeded as emperor and though over sixty at the time of his accession reigned for twenty-five years in constantinople the theological controversies in which he was involved during the greater part of his reign and in which he took the side that lost for him the support and sympathy of the popes tended to sever the east from the west a desultory war that broke out between the gothic kingdom and the empire in consequence of theodoric's annexation of sirmium in illyria ended in five o nine and while anastasius lived friendly relations were maintained between the two courts but when justin succeeded as emperor and became reconciled to the pope the fear that the emperor might manifest his orthodoxy by inaugurating a persecution of the arians in the east led to friction between him and theodoric in the year five twenty five when this policy of persecution began theodoric sent pope john i to constantinople to remonstrate with the emperor the pope was accorded a splendid welcome at constantinople and officiated at a magnificent coronation of the new emperor how far he succeeded in winning any toleration for the arian subjects of the empire is not clear what is clear is that the result of the visit was to demonstrate the alliance between pope and emperor in a way which theodoric never intended when john returned he found the king passionately indignant and the pope was thrown into prison where he died soon after twenty fifth of may five twenty six the closing years of the reign of theodoric are a rather sad contrast 
to the prosperity and wise government of the earlier time his only child was a daughter amalazunta and about the year 515 theodoric married her to a young goth from spain eutaric eutaric was a strong arian and his influence over his father-in-law appears to have led him to adopt a less friendly attitude toward his catholic subjects just at the very time when the eastern court was inclined to press more hardly on the arians the effect of all this was that the good relations that had for so long subsisted between theodoric and his roman subjects began to give place to an attitude of mutual suspicion the chief of the senate caput senatus at this time was Symmachus, a roman noble of illustrious ancestry great wealth and high reputation with him was associated a younger man boethius who had been placed under the care of Symmachus in early life and had married his daughter rusticiana boethius enjoyed the confidence of theodoric and in five twenty two his two little sons were made consuls an honour that boethius repaid by a great oration in praise of the king but now theodoric's attitude changed throughout western europe the arian cause was losing ground for the frankish kingdom was still growing and the burgundian and vandal kingdoms had passed into the hands of catholic rulers just at this juncture an officer of theodoric's court cyprian who held a position not unlike that of public prosecutor accused a roman noble named albinus of treasonable correspondence with the emperor it is impossible to say whether cyprian was acting from patriotic or personal motives but his accusation was strongly resented not only by albinus but by boethius who warmly espoused the cause of his friend whatever albinus did he said i and the whole senate of rome did the same cyprian thus challenged replied by charging boethius with treason and procuring his arrest in the events that follow there is much that is obscure the exact nature of the charges against boethius is uncertain what is certain is that he was not accorded a fair trial he was condemned by his fellow senators without being heard in his own defence and sentence of death was passed against him after some months in prison he was executed the name of boethius is remembered now not only as almost the last great roman but even more as the author of a book written in prison during the last few weeks of his life the famous consolations of philosophy the purpose of the book which is in prose with poems interspersed here and there is to explain how after the muses had vainly tried to comfort the prisoner philosophy appearing in the guise of a tall and beautiful woman came to him and spoke of the vanity of human hopes and the satisfaction to be found in resting in god there is nothing distinctly christian in the book though boethius himself was a christian it is the last word of the old stoic world of marcus aurelius and seneca as a text-book of philosophy the book became one of the most cherished possessions of the early middle ages it was translated into english by alfred the great and into most of the other languages of europe the mission of pope john followed almost immediately after the death of boethius and before the death of the pope symmachus had been accused and executed 
theodoric had declared war on his roman subjects and it is hard to say what the issue of the contest would have been but before theodoric could put into execution an edict ordering the churches throughout italy to be handed over to the arians he was stricken with mortal disease and died on the thirtieth of august five twenty six he is said to have bitterly lamented on his deathbed the acts of violence that had stained the last years of his life many historians are disposed to account for them by the theory that theodoric had in these last years become partially insane certainly it is not easy on any other theory to explain the extraordinary transformation in his character theodoric was buried at ravenna where his tomb still stands but the porphyry vase that held his remains has vanished long ago like the gothic kingdom that he tried to establish the history of the decline and fall of that kingdom can be told only in outline eutaric had died long before his father-in-law and the throne passed to his little son atalaric for whom amalazuenta acted as regent with cassiodorus as chief adviser but amalazuenta whose sympathies were with her roman subjects rather than with the ruder gothic warriors alienated the goths by attempting to give her son the education of a roman lawyer instead of that of a gothic chief after a time he escaped from her tutelage only to ruin himself with self-indulgence and to die at the age of eighteen in five thirty four amalazuenta then invited the only surviving relation of the late king theodahad to become her colleague on the throne he accepted the offer and almost at once deposed amalazuenta who soon after perished at the hands of a disaffected party of gothic nobles but now a new power appears on the scene the story of the revival of the empire will be told in a later chapter by the year five thirty five justinian having completed the conquest of north africa was ready to profit by the confusion in italy and to make good the claims of the empire to those italian lands that the emperors had never ceased to regard as part of their dominions by the year five thirty six justinian's generals had wrested dalmatia from the goths and the greatest of his commanders belisarius had landed in italy and captured the island with little difficulty in the spring of this year belisarius crossed into southern italy and the long death agony of the gothic kingdom began with the fall of naples all southern italy passed into the hands of the imperial general the goths then in a great national assembly deposed the worthless Theodahad who was hunted down and slain on the way to ravenna in his place a veteran gothic warrior vitigus was raised on the shields of the goths as their king but the imperial cause still prospered vitigus withdrew northwards leaving only a small garrison in rome and on the approach of belisarius this garrison marched out of the city which belisarius occupied fortified and victualled he had rightly judged that the goths would soon repent of their mistake in abandoning rome by the spring of five thirty seven vitigus marched south at the head of the whole gothic army and after a tremendous contest outside the walls of the city shut up belisarius and his forces in rome 
a year's siege followed marked by infinite resourcefulness on the part of the imperial general and much strenuous fighting on the part of the goths but in march five thirty eight the goths broke up their encampments where they had suffered grievously from disease and marched north to meet an attack on ravenna by a fresh imperial force it took belisarius two more years of hard fighting to reach ravenna which he blockaded he is said to have won the city by pretending to agree to a proposal of the goths that he should himself accept the throne of italy Viticus was sent as a prisoner to constantinople and ravenna became and remained for two hundred years the centre of imperial rule in italy just at this juncture belisarius was recalled by the emperor and the administration of the newly recovered province of italy fell into the hands of a body of rapacious and often incompetent byzantine officials men who oppressed and robbed with impartial injustice the soldiers of belisarius and the native nobles of italy at this time the position of the goths seemed desperate many of them had submitted to the empire and the irreconcilable remnant had retired to the one remaining stronghold in italy the city of Ticinum, pavia here they chose ildabad as their king after a time his scanty forces began to be augmented by deserters from the imperial army and before the end of the year five forty he was able to take the offensive and win a great victory at treviso which gave back most of northern italy to the goths a short period of internal dissensions checked for a time the rising tide of gothic success ildabad was murdered by the adherents of a rival faction and his successor araric was in his turn slain then in the autumn of five forty one the last great hero of the gothic race was elected as king he was the nephew of ildabad and is known to the greek chroniclers of the time as tatilla though his real name appears to have been baduilla his reign of eleven years forms a splendid close to the story of ostrogothic rule in italy tatilla knew that his chance of regaining italy depended on his securing and retaining the goodwill of the italian people alienated by the exactions of the tax-gatherers of justinian he therefore repressed plundering among his soldiers and contented himself with levying from the people the taxes that they would have had to pay to the imperial officers so successful was this policy that within two years of his accession he had reconquered the whole of italy with the exception of a few cities of which the most important were ravenna and rome alarmed at this sudden change justinian sent belisarius who had for some time been in disfavour at court back to italy with very inadequate resources to reconquer the lost province in the five years of desultory war that followed belisarius did nothing worthy of his great reputation excepting his occupation and defence of rome totilla had blockaded rome which was defended by a small imperial force and after a brave but unsuccessful attempt by belisarius to break the boom that totilla had placed across the river tiber to prevent fresh provisions coming into the city by sea a part of the garrison betrayed the city to totilla who entered without any resistance the imperial troops marching out on the other side it is said that totilla at first proposed to raze the whole city to the ground 
but was persuaded by the entreaties of his great antagonist belisarius to abandon the idea instead he tore large gaps in the walls so as to make the city indefensible and then marched away leaving it deserted and not allowing a single human being to remain behind into the deserted city belisarius with a thousand soldiers marched about a month later and within twenty-five days he had rendered it once more defensible with hastily constructed walls rudely heaped together after one vain effort to regain the city totila and his goths marched away leaving the imperial general entrenched among the ruins of the city that had once been the mistress of the world two years later when belisarius had been recalled from italy totila succeeded through the treachery of part of the garrison in once more making himself master of rome and he now invited the roman nobles to return to the city and tried to repair the ravages of war meanwhile the emperor determined on one last effort to win back italy his grand chamberlain narses a man already over seventy years of age was placed in command of a great host of barbarians attracted to his standard by the hope of the plunder of italy he marched overland and arrived at ravenna without encountering any resistance but a little farther south he met the army of totila and a great battle ended in the complete defeat of the goths who were outnumbered and perhaps outgeneraled totila was slain as he was flying from the field the end of the goths had come for a few months a new leader teius strove to make headway against the power of the empire but town after town surrendered to narses and at length the remnant of the gothic army was hemmed in near naples and after vainly seeking refuge in the rocky fastnesses of mons lactarius they made one last desperate attack on the imperial forces after two days of hand-to-hand -hand combat during which teius was slain the goths offered to leave italy and find a home in some barbarian kingdom their terms were accepted and they marched across the passes of the alps and vanished we know not whither theodoric's great attempt to build up a kingdom of italy by welding together roman and teuton under his sway had failed thirteen centuries were destined to pass before the royal house of savoy achieved the goal that the great ostrogoth had failed to reach End of chapter four